today. It's so good to be together and God's able to be here together either in person or virtually. It's so good to be together in God's house today. We are on part four of our series, Winning the War in Our Minds, and we have been talking about some awesome things these past three weeks. Week one, we talked about the war in our minds and how the battles that we fight, most of the battles in our lives are won and they're lost in our minds. And then two weeks ago, Pastor Matt talked about how our lives move in the direction of that we think and how we can take back our minds to move our lives in a positive direction through prayer and through meditating on God's word to reconstruct those pathways. I love how he talked about those pathways in our minds and how we can begin to reconstruct those by meditating on God's word. And then last week, we talked about how our lives are a reflection of our thoughts. And we talked about defeating those negative thoughts by changing the filter and by changing the framework and by strengthening ourselves in the Lord through prayer. Now, today, part four is the battle of the ages, calming my anxious mind. It's an ongoing battle, it's an ongoing struggle. It's something I think that whether or not you are a worrier, it's something that we all face at some point in our lives. A mind filled with chaotic, anxious thoughts. Now, when our minds are anxious, it, it's, it's kind of a struggle to take back our minds or defeat our minds. Because when our minds are anxious, there is so much worry that can just overtake our minds and control our minds and make our minds and our thoughts race in all these different directions and take us to places that we don't want to go. Take us to places in our thoughts that, that we don't even want to think about. And we can't even stop it. it just, it's just this chaotic environment that just blasts our brain, right, when our minds are anxious. Now, has anybody here ever experienced a mind full of worry and chaos? Is anybody here admittedly an anxious person or a worrier, right? Thank you all for being honest, the three of you that raised your hands. I know the rest of you probably are and just don't want to admit it, or maybe you don't think you are, but listen, whether you are or not, whether you think you are or not, um, I want you to do this exercise with me for a minute. Imagine, okay, that you are a missionary, and imagine that you are a missionary in a foreign land and you have been arrested for your faith. So now you are in prison. You are under house arrest, right? You are arrested for your faith and you're facing trial and possible execution. You're facing possible death. Okay, imagine this with me. Every single person in this room, every single person joining us online right now should be able to imagine this scenario with me because this is not very different from all of our scenarios, all of our lives in 2020. We were all under house arrest and we were all facing possible death in 2020, weren't we? Right? So imagine that you're in this situation. Where are your thoughts? You know where your minds were in 2020. You know where your thoughts were. You know how anxious your mind was in 2020, right? But imagine that you're facing this. Where were your thoughts being? If you're a worrier, I can easily imagine this. First thing I'd be thinking about is, 
Um, what are they going to feed me? I'm under house arrest. I can't go shopping. I can't cook. I don't know. Are they going to feed me? Am I going to starve to death? Um, what about basic supplies? Am I going to be able to go shopping? I'm going to be able to send out requests for things like what if I need something? What if I need medication? What if I need, you know, am I going to be able to take a shower? I don't know. Like how am I going to be able to eat? How am I going to be, am I going to be comfortable sleeping? Like what are they going to allow? What are they going to not allow? I don't know. And then, you know, well, I, I'm a missionary. I can't visit the churches. So now how am I going to minister to these churches and how am I going to reach out to the ones who need me? And are they going to fail? Are they going to, are these churches just going to die because I can't, I'm arrested now and I can't help them and I can't go minister to them? And, and, and oh, well, well, ministering in, in churches and being a missionary is my source of income. So, I, oh, my gosh, what, what's my fan, financial situation going to look like? I don't know how I'm going to make money. I'm, I don't know what my fan, finance is going to look like. I'm going to, if I even get released from prison, I'm going to be poor. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this. And meanwhile, you know, wait a minute. Maybe I should just be focusing right now on, on defeating these charges, right? Maybe I should just be focusing on, focusing on the trial. Okay. If, if I go to trial and the, these are the charges against me, how am I going to defend myself? Am I going to get a lawyer? Are they going to provide me with a lawyer? I don't know. Um, am I, can I even afford a lawyer? Uh, if I can't, how am I going to defend myself? Maybe I need to get some law books and look through and see what the charges are against me and how I can defend myself. And, and, if, I, and if I can and if they find me guilty and if they charge me and if I face execution, what's that going to be like? Oh, my gosh. What's it like to be executed? Is it is it fast? Is it slow? Is it painful? Is it not? I don't know. Like, and then do they do I get buried? Do I actually have a funeral? Like, like is it an honorable? You know, do they allow somebody to take care of my body or not? I don't know. Like, what's going to happen? And who's going to tie up all my loose ends? And and right, okay. If you can identify with a mind racing like that, full of anxious thoughts that you can't control, you would expect anybody in this situation to have a little bit of worry, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of thoughts racing that you can't control. But what you would not expect from a person in this situation, what you would not expect from a person in this situation is words like this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the last thing that you would expect someone in this situation to be able to communicate. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his imprisonment, in his facing possible execution, is able to communicate words like this because he has experienced the power of prayer. And he's experienced all of this to be true. You can't say things like this unless you've experienced it to be true. For Paul, the perfect prescription to calm an anxious mind was prayer. Seeking God alone. Now, before we take a deep dive into Paul's prescription of prayer to calm our anxious minds, we need to consider for a moment the problem of worry. We need to examine the problem to know how the prescription works. How do our minds get to such an anxious spot in the first place? Well, you know, we've been saying all along through this series that your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, right? And if your strongest thought is worry, that just creates chaos in everything. It's hard to function and think clearly 
through any situation when your strongest thoughts are that of worry and you're focused on a problem or even a potential problem. Now, when we worry, here's actually what physically is happening in our brains. There's a tiny, teeny little part in the center, of our, the bottom center of our brains. It's the tiniest spot. Usually the smallest things cause the biggest problems, don't they, right? <laughs> the amygdala is our worry center. The amygdala is that center that is the fight or flight center. It's the survival center. It's what gives us that shot of adrenaline to keep us surviving. But the amygdala is not objective at all. It's hardwired from previous experiences. Remember how we've talked about that the past couple of weeks? Those previous experiences that, that go on to ex- affect our future responses or those previous pathways that have been cr- created that go on to create our future responses. That's what happens with the amygdala. That's hardwired to react upon whatever we've experienced in the past. And so whatever we experience now can trigger the amygdala to cause us to worry or cause us to panic or cause us to want to act and and survive in that situation. So, for example, like, you know, when um you know when you're in a car but you're not the one driving and you're you're you maybe get a little close to the car in front of you because the one person's like riding a little closer or they're speeding and you, you know you hit on the imaginary brake. Why do you do that? Because you've had experience of, as yourself driving, right? That you don't want to be close to that car because maybe you've been involved in an accident or got a speeding ticket or something, and you just know from past experience that they, this person needs to slow down, and you hit that imaginary brake. Well, when we worry, this is what's happening. The amygdala is hijacking our brain. It's taking over. It's like saying, survive. It's shooting us with adrenaline. It's making us react. And so what happens is it needs a little help, a little logic, a little balance, to balance out that hardwiring response. So the prefrontal cortex is the logic center of our brain. And the prefrontal cortex helps to balance out the amygdala and tells it to stop acting on your pre-programmed wiring and, and listen, because this is what's actually happening, or this is what's actually going on. You, you're, it's okay. You can have a logical explanation for this. Like um, when you're in the middle of a good night's sleep, and all of a sudden, you hear the scream that sounds like a child, a baby screaming, and you jump out of bed because if you have kids, you know that scream, you know that cry, and you go, you immediately run to their room to check on them, and then you don't hear anything from their rooms, but you keep hearing the scream. And so then your amygdala is causing you to think, oh my gosh, there's somebody outside, there's a baby outside in distress, they're screaming, they're crying, what do I do? Do I call 911? I don't know, do I help them? Do I go outside and check? What is it? What's that screaming baby? What's that sound? And then the prefrontal cortex balances that panic out and helps you realize and think logically, oh yeah, in the neighborhood I live in, there's these feral cats that wander around, and usually they, they, when they get in a fight with each other, they start screaming at each other, and they sound like a screaming, crying baby. Oh, that's what woke me up. All right, I'm going back to bed. So the prefrontal cortex helps balance out the amygdala and gives it a logic that we need. But when we worry, here's actually what's happening in the spiritual realm. When we worry in the spiritual realm, it's our sin nature that takes over. I know we don't like to hear this because everybody worries and we struggle with this. But worry is essentially our sin nature taking over. 
It's essentially the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. When we allow pr- worry to take root, it's, it's, it's almost a pride issue. It's wanting, con- wanting to take control, wanting to have control, wanting to, to admit that maybe God can't handle it all. That's what worry is in the spiritual realm. And so in the spiritual, what we need to defeat and combat worry, we need God to take over our minds. We need a mind that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 5 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things, right? We think about worry because we're dominated by the sinful nature. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your mind, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. A mind controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know what? A mind controlled by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just happen out of nowhere. And that brings us to the prescription of prayer. A mind controlled by the Holy Spirit can only happen as we submit ourselves to God in prayer. And so today, you know how you get these prescription sheets from when you get a medicine from the doctor and it spells out all the instructions, all the directions, everything you want to know, and even those things that you might not want to know about the prescription that you're taking. Well, that's kind of how we're going to look a little bit at prayer today. We're going to look about how, why Paul prescribed prayer instead of anxiety. First, is the purpose of prayer. We need to know why we pray. We need to know what the purpose of prayer is. Prayer can calm our minds because prayer is the thing that aligns our mind with God's mind. Prayer is the open door that we give to allow God to enter into our minds and line our minds up with God's mind. Romans 8, 6 says, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Our minds cannot be controlled by the spirit unless through prayer we allow the Holy Spirit to empty us of all that we are, of our thinking, of our worry, of of everything that's of us, and bring us into submission to God's way of thinking. Because prayer can bring our mindset in line with God's mindset. The way we see things now becomes the way God sees things as we pray. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And you know what? If you think about it, our minds are filled with everything that God's are not, right? And as we, as we submit ourselves in prayer and realize the purpose of prayer is to align our mind with God's mind, then we begin to see things as God sees. And his mind is filled with all the things that ours aren't. Peace beyond imagination. The second part of the prescription of prayer, priority in prayer. The priority of prayer. If prayer is to be a remedy to calm our anxious mind, then it needs to become number one priority in our lives. Number one. 
Paul says, what does he say in our scripture that I read earlier? In Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And you notice he doesn't put it last. He doesn't list a bunch of things and say, oh, yeah, and by the way, pray. He says prayer first. It's first. It's priority. It's foremost. Why? Why does he say that it's first and not last? Because prayer isn't our last line of defense. It's our first line of offense. Prayer should be our first line of offense. Paul didn't say, like, you know, many of us say, well, I guess we just, all we can do is pray now. I guess all we can do is pray. You know, we can't do anything now. Just pray. Just pray. Don't we say that so much? I'm guilty of it. I say that all the time. Well, all you can do is pray. Just throw up your hands because there's nothing else you can do but pray. We need to change our language about prayer. We need to change, change our attitude about prayer. Prayer should be our first line of defense. It should be the first thing we think to do, the first thing we think about. It should be the thing we know is our most powerful defense. Did you know that um, prioritizing prayer in our lives not only can calm our minds and free us from anxiety, but when you put prayer first in your life, there's actually physical changes that can happen to your brain. There's a science um, called neuroplasticity. And what this science studies is the fact how, how our brains are constantly changing and rewiring. It's not like they thought years ago where they thought our brains might have just been formed and set. But this science of neuroplasticity actually shows that our brains can constantly change and be rewired. And so from that area of study comes a study called, or comes a type of science called neurotheology. This is such an interesting area of study because neurotheology studies physical effects on the brain as a result of your faith. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a scientist in the area of this study of neurotheology, and she studies specifically the connection between prayer and changes in the brain. And here is what she has found. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Physical measurement, physical scientific proof. 12 minutes daily of focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent. That is just amazing to me. But God is our creator. God is the one who formed us, isn't he? So he should know what is the best for our minds, what is the best treatment for our minds. And he conveyed that to Paul. That's, That's prayer. The third part of our prescription we get to is the power of prayer. Paul talks about power, the power of prayer when he talks about the armor of God. And he includes prayer as such an important part of the armor of God when he says in Ephesians 6, 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now when we talk about praying in the Spirit... We are a Pentecostal church, right? When we are talking about praying in the Spirit, we are talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are talking about the experience of the disciples in Acts chapter 2, praying in tongues, in unknown languages, in a heavenly language. 
We believe the Bible when it says in Romans 8.26, and these are Paul's words again, that we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It says the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When we pray in tongues, it is an outward sign that we are actually allowing God to take over our minds and pray his will through us when we don't know how to pray. God can pray for us and through us. And there's not only audible proof, again, here that God is taking over our minds when we're praying in the spirit. But did you know that there's actually physical proof of this as well? There's another scientist of neurotheology called Dr. Andrew Newberg. He's from the University of Philadelphia. And he studies, he studied what happens to the brain when people pray in English and then people, when people pray in tongues. And here's what he found. He found when people, when the person prayed in English, the frontal lobe, which is the language center of the brain, was active, but for the most part, it fell quiet. It fell quiet when the person prayed in tongues. There's power when we pray, and we allow God to take over our minds, and when we don't know how to pray, we pray in the Spirit. Like Paul said, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but that mind governed by the Spirit it's life, and it's peace. Now, for a moment, let's just talk about, and we're going to cover a lot today, because you know those prescription sheets aren't always one-sided. They're, they're double-sided. There's a lot of information in there. I'm trying not to overload you, but I think it's important to know the depths of prayer. And the persistence in prayer is so important. It's an important piece. Paul instructs the, 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 Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. We've heard that verse so many times. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Do I just continue to pray constantly and don't even have time to do anything else because I'm constantly praying? No. What persistence in prayer means, or what Paul means, I think, here by pray without ceasing, is that prayer is more than just an action. Prayer is more than what we just do once in a while. Prayer is a mindset. Prayer is a lifestyle. Constantly having, turning situations, constantly turning problems, constantly turning worries, constantly turning thoughts into prayer and communicating those things with God. A constant open line of communication with our Heavenly Father. That's why Paul can say in Philippians, pray about everything. A mindset, a lifestyle, every little thing. Talk to God about it. You know, some of us find it hard, I think, to be persistent in prayer because we feel like, we feel bored maybe, or we feel like a broken record sometimes. We're like, God, I'm always talking to you about the same thing. God, I'm always coming to you about the same thing. I'm always praying the same words, or I'm praying the same prayer. But you know what? That's okay. That's actually what we should be doing. As we're persistent in prayer. Because didn't Jesus say, keep on asking and you will receive? Keep on seeking and you will find? Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you? 
That is, those are Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 7. Didn't he say, stay consistent, stay persistent when you pray. Don't give up. Don't just do it once in a while. Don't just leave it once and one and done. Keep on praying. Be persistent in what you're praying because you know what? It's okay to keep praying about the same thing because honestly, it's not about what we pray. It doesn't come down to what we're praying about. That's not what it's about. It's about the who. It's about our perspective in prayer. That's what it comes down to. It's not about what we're praying for. It's not what we're praying about. It's about who. Who we're praying to. Who we're talking to. That should be our perspective in prayer. You know, if we go to prayer... And we go to talk to God, and all we're talking about is, is a problem or an issue or a worry, and basically all we're doing is worrying in the presence of God, right? We're saying, okay, well, Lord, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. But we don't take time to thank God. We don't take time for praise. We don't take time to just meditate on who God is over that situation, then I don't know if that's going to, that prayer is going to necessarily have the calming effect on our minds that we desire or we need. But when we know it's not about the what, but about the who, and we shift our perspective as we pray, and not only do we ask the Lord for things, and not only do we tell him about things, but we focus mainly on who he is over what we're praying about, who he is over the situation, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We take this scripture so many times, don't we? We separate it from, don't be anxious, but pray. We kind of separate it from that part, and we just kind of use it as a checklist for how we should think. And, and yes, it is. It is a guideline for how we should think, but specifically, Specifically, it's a guideline for where our minds should be when we go to God in prayer. Because who satisfies those things more perfectly? Who satisfies that list that Paul puts out there more perfectly than God alone? Only God is perfectly pure. Only God is perfectly admirable. Only he is excellent, most excellent or praiseworthy. Only he is Lord Almighty. Only he is God Most High. Only he is our Father. Only he is Provider. Only he is Prince of Peace. Who God is over it all. And we can't overlook, we can't talk about an effective prescription of prayer to calm our anxious minds and overlook our presentation of prayer. Philippians 4, 6 in the King James Version says, let, let your requests be made known to God. Let it be known. Allow it to be known. That implies a, a, a surrender of sorts, a giving over. And I like, though, how NIV presents it. He, it says, present your request to God. And I like how the NIV says present your request to God because it helps me remember this. That if we are going to God in prayer and we want God to calm our anxious minds in prayer, we need a full mind takeover of the Holy Spirit. 
And as we are going to God in prayer, if we are truly giving over control of our minds, if we are truly giving over control of whatever it is we are worrying about, we are truly surrendering it and giving over control to God, that's the best present that we could ever give God. That is the best gift that we could ever give to God is giving over completely everything that we have, everything that we're thinking about, everything that we're worrying about, everything that we're concerned about, completely saying, Lord, I give you control. Guide me and lead me. Show me what to do. I trust you completely. That is the best present that we could ever give to God. You know, a few weeks ago, quite a few weeks ago, actually, we heard about a worry box, right? A worry box is something that you put those worries in and you might handle, you know, some of those things are handled or they they kind of pass and you don't have to worry about them anymore, so you take those out, but then you put more in and you take more out, but put more in. But a worry box is something essentially that we control, isn't it? And, you know, maybe we go to God about the things in our worry box and prayer, and we might direct God to say, hey, God, look at my worry box. Come see what I'm worried about. Okay, see it. Look at it. Here it is. But presenting your request to God, fully surrendering to God, if we want to calm our anxious minds, is not about putting things in or out of a worry box, but it's taking that worry box and completely emptying it before God completely pouring it out and giving it over to him as a present, not to be taken back, but just completely to giving it to him to own and to have and to take control over. You know, if a battle in our minds is fought with prayer, then the battle for our anxious minds is won in surrender. If the battle for our minds is fought in prayer, then the battle for our anxious minds is won in surrender. Our presentation of prayer, our gift, our present to God is that of full surrender of our worries and giving over full control to him. It's giving over full control of all our thoughts, even our prayer, even the way we pray of the situation, giving him full control, giving him all our trust, giving him all our faith. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to end this, ta- this service. I want to end in prayer because we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the pres- prescription of prayer. We're talking about how prayer can calm our anxious mind. And we can't talk about these things if we don't practice prayer. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come up here and there's these baskets, have pencils and paper up here. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to invite you actually to come up here. And I want you to externalize your worry. I want you to externalize anything that you're concerned about. Everybody here today, I know, has some concern or worry for the situation in the world today. Everybody in here, we, we're concerned about, about Ukraine. We're concerned about war. We're concerned about disease. We're concerned about, you know, corona still is out there. We're, con- we're concerned about so many things we're worried about. 
And they just rattle around and rattle around and rattle around in our mind. And how do I know they rattle around in our mind? Because that's what comes up when we talk. And so we keep talking about them. But let's externalize them today. Let's get them out of our minds. And I want us to physically write down our worries and present them to God. I want us to put our worries in this present to God, symbolizing nothing else but God, I want to surrender. I want to give you full control of everything that's going on in my mind. I want, you to, I want to give you full control of everything I'm worried about. I want to give you full control of every situation I face, whether it affects me personally or it affects the world I live in. God, I want to give you control. I want to trust in you. I want to give you my complete trust. I want to surrender it completely to you today. And as we come up and do that, I'll give the invitation in a minute. As we come up and do that, I want us to just remember the prescription of prayer because as you come up and you present your requests to God, you know, today it might not be a one-and-done thing where whatever you're worried about, you put it in the box and you never think about it again because, you know, those sneaky worries, that sneaky sinful nature will crop up and, you know, maybe, maybe an hour later, maybe, maybe later today, maybe later this week, that same worry is in your mind. But don't forget about the priority of prayer and persistence in prayer. Because the more constantly and the more consistently we give over control of our minds to God in prayer, the more consistently and constantly we bring those things before him and we leave them there, it creates those new pathways in our mind. It becomes easier. It becomes more natural. It becomes more regular. It becomes more of a lifestyle practice. And you know, you may be presenting a worry or a concern or something to God today, surrendering it to him. But then weeks or months from now, you're still praying about the same thing and nothing's changed. But remember, it's not about the what. It's about the who. It's about our perspective of prayer. It's about who we're going to and who we know God to be over that situation. That's what it's about. And you may bring a worry to God today. You may present it before him, but you may not necessarily know where to go from there. You may not know how to pray, what words to say, what to even express. Well, that's the beauty of the purpose and the power of prayer. Because as you go to God in prayer and you just want to express your desire to completely surrender that to God he begins to show you the way he sees things he fills you with his mindset and he gives you the power through the Holy Spirit to just begin to utter words that you don't even know what you're saying you don't even know what you're praying but God knows because he's taking over and he's praying for you his will and his way 